We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Chapter 24, as we finish the book today, uh, I'm so excited. You know, if you study the Bible, uh, I know a lot of you here have been walking with the Lord for a while. Some of you here are probably new Christians. But, you know, you start in the book of Genesis. And that's kind of how everything began, right? God made everything. You see the first marriage. You see the institution of government. Things being established right there. In Genesis chapter 3, you see the entrance of sin. And uh, right away, when you get to the book of Genesis chapter 11 and chapter 12, you begin... The lineage of the Jews, as God calls Abraham out. And so right away, you see it happening real quick. And then, you know, you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They go to Egypt. And that's kind of how Genesis ends. Then you get to the book of Exodus. And what ends up happening in the first couple of chapters, you see the children of Israel multiplying, but being persecuted. And so God sends Moses to set the people free from the nation of Egypt. And they go out from Egypt. They're set free. And then God leads the Jews. And then you see in the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, two years take place in which God gives them the law. Then you get over to what? The book of Numbers. And when you get to the book of Numbers, what you find is that's a total of 38 years in which the children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness. After that, you get to the book of Deuteronomy, probably just a couple of months in which Moses gives his farewell speech and he's really encouraging the children of Israel to make sure that they live the life to go into the land that God's promised them, the promised land. Now, some people like to say the, 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 the way that the children of Israel came out of Egypt is a picture of us getting saved. It's a picture of us coming out of the world, the the Greek word for church is the word ecclesia, and it means called out once. And so when you got saved and you gave your life to Christ, God called you out of the world. Now, when you cross to the Red Sea, they cross to the Red Sea. That's a picture of baptism. And then when you go over and you cross the Jordan now, hopefully you don't wander in the wilderness too long, okay? Because you want to make Jesus, this was the deal, man, your Savior and your Lord. You don't want to waste a lot of time you want to make the, the Lord the Lord in your life. You really want to get into the promised land. And what that is when we see uh, us going into the promised land is the place where we belong. You know, I know we sin. You know, I know we mess up. But whatever you do, don't accept that. Don't think, well, I'm a sinner, man, and I'm going to mess up. And, you, you know, you don't really, you know, strive for holiness or, or strive to enter into a deeper relationship with God. Um, when you go through the Jordan and into the promised land, what that is is a life of consistency. It's a life of character. It's a life in which you die, you die with integrity. It's a life of victorious Christian living. And I want to tell you this right now. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can be that man. You can be that woman. Why? Because God lives in you. You just got to believe and receive that and be encouraged in that. It's a beautiful life. I'm not saying you're not going to have battles because you are. You're going to have hard times. But even those, you know, stumbling stones will be used into stepping stones and God can do a great work. And so the book of Joshua, they're fighting, some say seven years, ten years. We know 
It could have been a total of 30 years when you look to the whole book of Joshua from beginning to end. Now Joshua comes to the end of his life in which he's about to die and he gives the nation of Israel their final words. Joshua is a picture of who? Jesus. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. And here's the way it works, you guys. It's not real complicated. If you let Jesus lead your life, you'll be blessed. You know, but if you want to lead your own life, and he'll let you, you want to do your own thing, you know, you have that freedom. You're, you're going to be, you know, stressed. You're going to be thrashed. You're going to hurt. You're going to digress in life. And so it's really simple. Let Jesus lead your life. Like Joshua did the children of Israel. Listen to what he says here in Joshua chapter 24. It says in verse 1, And then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Again, we now come to the end of the book. And uh, it's rather appropriate, I think, we read Joshua's farewell address to the nation of Israel. What we're going to see today is a few things. First of all, geography. Secondly, history. Thirdly, sincerity. And then fourthly, glory. He calls the nation of Israel to this place called Shechem. What we see in Joshua's life is he's about to die. What ends up happening is the, the cry of his heart, this is where he's at, you guys, is that the people of God would come back to God. That the people of God would recommit their life to God and that they would never ever go away. For Joshua, it was all about God and his people. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, at the end of a long and full life, Joshua's greatest concern wasn't himself. His greatest concern was his people and their relationship to the Lord. He didn't want to leave until he had challenged them once again to love the Lord and keep his commandments. You know, if you're a leader, especially if you're a leader of a congregation, you know, like Joshua was, let's just say you're a pastor, you care for all the people. God just puts that in your heart. And you want so much for them to love the Lord. You want so much for them, you know, to serve the Lord because you love them. And even when you're ready to die, it's still so heavy, it's so consuming on your heart that, man, your final words will, will not be about you because it was never about me. It was never about me. It was about them. You know, and this can be a pastor with the congregation. This could be a, a dad with his family. You know, but there's those people within your sphere of influence that God's called you to serve. That I love the way Joshua does this, man. He just, right when he's ready to die, again, I don't know for sure. He probably got in his wheelchair or his walker. I'm not sure how he did it. They carried him there. But he's ready to die and he gives these words. It's so, so cool. Now, real quick, one thing I probably should mention to you is that the commitment Joshua is about to call them to is what's called the Suzerainty Treaty. It's kind of hard to, to pronounce, the Suzerainty Treaty. And what it consists of is, number one, a preamble. And so there's kind of an opening. We'll see that here in verses 1 through 2a. Then a historical prologue. And he's going to talk all this history of what God has done. Then there'll be stipulations for this commitment 
with consequences of disobedience. And then when it's all done, he puts it in writing. And so that's what Joshua is calling them to at this point. It's called the Suzerainty Treaty. And so we read here again in verse 1 that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. If you were here last week, you remember we saw in chapter 23, it was probably directed more towards the leaders. Now chapter 24 more than likely is directed to the entire congregation of Israel. Joshua calls them all to this place called Shechem. Now Shechem was a special place in the Bible. Um, If you'll notice in the map right here, Shechem is kind of in the middle place of Israel. And more than likely at this time in their history, it became kind of the capital of Israel. It was where the tabernacle was. It was where, look, notice it says right there at the end of verse 1, presented themselves before God. They came to Shechem where the tabernacle was and they presented themselves to God. That's a special place, huh? That's why commentators and teachers, the first point they'll mention in this whole thing is this whole element of the importance of the geography. You know, it was in Shechem. It's real interesting. Earlier in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, where God had appeared to Abraham and promised him this land. Think about it. There was Abraham, man. You know, way, way back, God appeared to him and said, I'm going to give you the land. And they all knew, oh, that took place in Shechem. It was a special place, right? It was there in Shechem, according to Genesis 35, 1 through 4, that Jacob kind of had a family revival. When they came from the land and they were heading back to where they belong, it was kind of interesting. Jacob said, put away your idols. And what they did was they put them away there and they recommitted their life in this place called Shechem. Special place. It was later there in Shechem, in the book of Joshua, chapter 8, verses 30 through 35, where the people had made a commitment to God. It's real interesting. You guys remember in the Bible how it talks about Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim? Well, there were these tribes up here, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. They shouted the curses of the covenant for disobedience on Mount Ebal. And then right here on Mount Gerizim, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, and Benjamin, they shouted the blessings of the covenant for obedience. So there you see Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, they were to be right in the middle. That would take them where? To Shechem. You see, Shechem was a special place. It was this place of geography. And it was kind of like rekindling you know, that special commitment to God. You know, I don't know if you guys have anything like that. I don't know if you have maybe not a special place, but a special time. You know, it could be a lot of different things. You'd, you'd be surprised, you know, what it can be. Um, I, I know that uh, when I first got saved, I got saved at Calvary Chapel, West Covina in 1989. And I was living with my roommate. My roommate wasn't a believer. And so he would bring girls over and he'd be drinking. And so I knew for sure I had to move out. That was a no-brainer, Right. And so I ended up moving out to a friend uh, that was a Christian, a couple of friends, and we moved into apartments. It was right there on Barranca. If you ever go by 453 South Barranca, right there. The apartments are still there. And you know, it's kind of weird because whenever I drive by those apartments, I get like a funny feeling inside. Only because I remember that those were the first days of my Christian life. And I remember 
how awesome it was, how powerful it was, you know? Um, and I know that we all don't have special places like that, and I know that, you know, those apartments aren't holy, you know? They're just apartments, and, you know, but, you know, there's just those times, I think, in which God can rekindle memories. Right now, before I came out, I was listening to a song by Roby Duke, an old song called, I Shall See God. And that old song, it just kind of brought me back to when I first got saved and how awesome it was and, you know, how special it was. And, you know, even though the Lord's still doing a work in my life, there's no doubt about it, even I need to go back sometimes to those places, man, and just remember what God has done, you know, remember the commitments. And so for the nation of Israel, the geography itself, I think, was something that God would use to bring them to that commitment. Warren Risby said this, being in a special place can sometimes make it easier for us to meet with God. And so here we see they're in Shechem. Most importantly, though, they're at the end of verse 1. They are before God. And so we move from the geography now to the history. Because look what it says. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. You know, you might wonder, well, why is you know Joshua saying this? Why is he bringing up the fact that they lived uh, way over there on the other side of the river? If you were to look at a map, um, this is the journeys of Abraham, but way over here, I don't know if you could see where it says you are, er, there's the Euphrates rivers. That's where they were, um, uh, Tehran, Nahor. They were there. Abraham's dad lived there on the other side of the Euphrates. And God had called them. Now, the thing that Joshua is saying, and we're going to see it as it all unfolds, is that they were lost. They were lost. Now, there's probably an element in which Abraham's dad served the Lord maybe at one time. We're not real sure. But we know for sure eventually he fell away and served pagan gods. And what Joshua is trying to say now is, I want to go over the history of your life. I want you to remember where you came from. And I want you to know what I've done for you. You know, especially you first generation Christians, man. Especially us. We're so accountable. Huh. A lot of times people that are raised in the church, it's real difficult, man. You know, and I tell my kids, you know, you don't have to go get a testimony, you know. I don't want you to have to do that. But for us first generationers, man, when God brought us out of the drugs and the sex and the rock and roll and he changed our vernacular and he changed our heart and he changed our life and he set us free and all the things that we've done. What Joshua is going to say right now is look at what God has done. It wasn't because Abraham's parents or lineage was special. God shows them when they were pagans. Here we see that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem's descendants are chronicled in Genesis 11, and among them is a man by the name of Terah. Terah is the father of Abraham, and here we see that he was a pagan man, as were all the people of the land, from the Chaldeans, from where he was called. And so he says, this is what I did in verse 3. I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children, they went down to Egypt. 
Now, if you want to get all the details here, you would have to read Genesis 11 all the way to Exodus chapter 2. So you've got to do that tonight for your homework, okay? <laughs> and what ended up happening was God called Abraham out. God blessed Abraham with their son Isaac when Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 years old. Imagine that. You know, here I am. I'm, you know, 40, how old am I again? 44, 44. I'm getting real old, huh? And you never know. What if God gives us a kid now? It's all up to him, right? But, you know, the bottom line is we people would say, well, you're kind of old. You know, you're 44 years old. Hey, who cares? God knows what's best, right? But imagine having a child at 100 years old, 90 years old. That's God, huh? That's God, huh? If God gave you a kid at 100 years old, don't be all sad, you know? I mean, that's awesome. At any age, right? At any age, it's life. But the bottom line is what Joshua is trying to say is that, that I did this work. You know, you know, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had a couple of kids. You know, um, Esau went that way. Jacob went down to Egypt, he says. They went down to Egypt and they were preserved in Egypt from the famine. But then if you remember the story there in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, they were persecuted by the Pharaoh. And yet, in the midst of all that, we really read some neat verses there. When they were in Egypt, they were being persecuted. But look what happens. It says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. In other words, if you have a New Living Translation, it says there was a population explosion. Man, They had a whole bunch of kids. Everybody was like the Dugers. I know that family that has 18 kids. Everybody, man, a whole bunch of kids. They were afflicted. But it says in Exodus 1 verse 12, the more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. I believe that God used the afflictions to help them grow. Just as a quick side note, when you're going through hard times, it's a great opportunity to run to Jesus and grow. See, it's all what God is doing, what God is doing with them. You know, it didn't happen overnight. Remember, this takes time. But God blessed Abraham with descendants and they multiplied tremendously in the land of Egypt. And what Joshua is trying to say is that it was clearly God. In verse 5, he says, Also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. You see, when they were slaves in Egypt, God saw the oppression. He heard their cries and he knew their sorrows. And here you are tonight and you're going through whatever you're going through. I want you to know this, that God sees what's going on. God hears your cries and God knows your sorrows. So what ended up happening was God sent Moses and he sent Aaron And then he sent the ten plagues. We read about that in Exodus chapters 3 through 13. And this was to be to the children of Israel the sign as God had brought them out of Egypt with the mighty miracles. God not only emancipated them from Egypt, but he also defeated the Egyptian army. Notice what it says in verse 6. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. The Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did 
in Egypt. Imagine that, you guys. You know, there you're there. And if you look at the geography, basically it was kind of an interesting thing. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they went to a strange place. They went to a place and they camped where there was the Red Sea in front of them. There were mountains on this side and mountains on that side. They really had nowhere to go. It didn't make any sense. God was leading them to a place that it didn't really seem to make any sense. And so when the Pharaoh saw, this is where they're camped out, when he found out about that, his heart began to be stirred up. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go after them. I'm going to go after them with my hundreds, my 600 chariots and my, and my charioteers and all my cavalry. And I'm going to mow them down, right? God had hardened his heart. So what ended up happening is when they go there, and you know the Israelites were to remember this day, you know, here come the, the cavalry, here come the tanks, here comes the army. And you know what God did was God set a cloud. To them it was darkness, to Israel it was light. And then God told Moses, man, stop praying, lift up your rod, you know. And Moses lifted it up, and you guys know the story, huh? The sea divided. Imagine that. See, God brings you to the place where there's no way out, so he can show you his glory. That's why. You know, we would rather have things so smooth, huh? The other day I was talking to my Bible college class, and we were going over the story where the the apostles they were in the storm. You guys remember when they were in the storm? And I asked my class this. I said, if you had the choice to choose, which would you rather choose? Would you rather have smooth sailing all the way across the lake? Point A, smooth sailing. Point B, you're there. Would you rather have that? Or would you rather go through the storm and strain and get fatigued? But then see Jesus coming to you in the waves. And then see Peter walking on the water. And then see Jesus silence the whole storm. And then immediately he's in the boat and you're where you're supposed to be. Which would you rather choose? Okay, I don't know about you, but I'd rather see the glory, man. I'd rather see the glory of God in the end than have smooth sailing all along the way. And here were the children of Israel, and they were there in the Red Sea, mountains on both sides. God brings them across on dry land. And what ends up happening? All of Egypt's army goes in, and God kills them, man. You know, that's kind of cool, huh? You know, God just wiped them out. Who knows? Maybe the Lord knew that if he didn't wipe out the Egyptian army, they would eventually go after them in the wilderness. Not that God would have a problem wiping them out then, but it's so cool. All Joshua is saying is, man, you remember these things. Your fathers were pagans. They were nothing. Abraham was old. He had a kid when he was a 100. Then you guys went down to Egypt and you got persecuted. And, you know, they wanted to wipe you out. But I set you free. I've defeated the Egyptian army. And he goes on and he gives even more history. Look again there at verse 7. At the end it says, Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. You know, God sustained them 40 years in the wilderness. And it's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it, you guys how God sustained them. Deuteronomy 29, 5 and 6, it says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. 
You have not eaten bread, nor have drunk wine or similar drink. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord your God. See, God did not give them bread, but he gave them manna. He gave them water from the rocks, springs in the desert. Imagine that. For 38 years, your clothes don't wear out. You know, that's pretty cool, huh? I don't wonder if they gained weight. They probably didn't gain weight either, so they wouldn't have to buy new clothes because they were on a good diet, huh? Manna burgers, right? (laughs) Imagine that, you guys. So cool what God did. God took care of them for 38 years. Let me ask you a question. Has God fed you from day one? Yes, huh? From day one. You're like, well, no, but I want a filet mignon. You know what? It's okay. I remember growing up, you guys, and I used to have uh, uh, tortillas with bologna and ketchup. That used to be my dinner. You guys ever try that? Try it. It's good stuff, man. <laughs> I remember going up, and at four years old, my parents, man, I don't know where they were at, man. I used to be cooking up some, I called them flat eggs or whatever, you know. I just know this, you guys, that all my days, God has provided for me. It may not be, you know, the fashion statement. But man, you know, God has taken care of us. God has taken care of them. You know, a lot of times we just need to stop and think. You know, think what God has done. Verse 8, he says, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Here we read about the defeat of the Amorite king. You can read about that in Numbers 21, 21 through 32. Uh, these kings were actually giants, men's. Um, this guy right here, um, Sihon, he's, his name actually means warrior. And basically what the Lord told them is, man, I gave you the victory. One thing that's real interesting is this must have been a tremendous victory. This would be... I don't know, the equivalent today of, let's just say, some small you know, country in, in, in the world today, you know, going up against something like the United States of America, or, you know, or Russia, or China, and, and wiping them out. You know, and, and you look at that and you think, wow, that's got to be God. You know, Israel has experienced this over the years, how God is giving them the victories. As a matter of fact, this is such a huge victory that it's mentioned over and over again in the Bible. Moses mentioned it in Deuteronomy 2, 24-37. Israel's enemies mentioned it in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, and again some other enemies in chapter 9, verse 10. Joshua mentioned Sihon earlier in chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, The judge Jephthah mentions it in Judges 11. The leaders of Nehemiah Day mentioned it in Nehemiah 9.22. The psalmists bring it up. Psalm 135.11, Psalm 136.19, Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 45. Through the whole Bible, you see them bringing up this amazing victory of what God had done. And as the enemy came against God's people in different ways, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Midianites, God gave them the victory time and time again. Uh, Even this guy Balaam and this guy Balak, look what it says in verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out 
of his hand. Apparently this guy Balaam, I don't know who he was, but apparently he had the power to curse people. Have you ever met somebody who's cursed? I have. What that means is that they're tormented by demons. I've sat, I've talked to people, and it's crazy. What they'll do is they'll go to these fortune tellers, you know, they'll go to these soothsayers. We have one down the street right here. They're all over the place. You're opening doors to demons when you do stuff like that. But man, this guy Balaam, apparently he had some type of gift, some type of power. A mysterious thing about him, whether it was with the Lord, I don't know. It's real crazy when you look at it. But what he did was he was hired by the king of Moab, the Midianites, to curse God's people. And in the process, you read about it there in the book of Numbers, God once again graciously and wonderfully gave victory to his people. Balaam was hired to try and curse God's people, but God would not let him. We read that in Numbers 22 through 24. And I love what we read in Numbers 23, 20 through 21. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We have it right here. It says right here somewhere. (laughs) Do I have it? No, I don't. Okay, I better not show you guys all the other notes because then you're going to have all the information that you shouldn't have. We're, We're supposed to be right here. That's where we were, right? Okay. This is what it says in Numbers. It says, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. You see what he says right there? See, when you're God's people, you're blessed and you cannot be cursed. You know, you can probably mess things up. The worst enemy is yourself, but no one else can. That's why just continue to follow the Lord. Continue to serve Him. Continue to trust in Jesus Christ. You just do the right thing one day at a time. You do the honorable thing. And you watch how God will put your life back together again. You watch how God will answer prayers I mean, people will try to curse you and come against you. And, you know, people will try to do that against me. You know, we become targets of the enemy. And the enemy comes in and he's real crafty and subtle and he's a serpent. Different ways to try to ruin us or to ruin this ministry. But you want to know something? In one sense, I feel sorry for them. God's going to get them. God's going to get them. Why? Because God says, I bless them. I bless them. And, and I cannot curse them. I like what he says right there. I observe no iniquity in Jacob. And what that means, and we've got to remember this and remind ourselves of this over and over again. Have you trusted in Christ? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then there is no sin in your life. He doesn't see any sin. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. He's got special binoculars, man. Special microscope, man, where he sees you covered in the righteousness of his Son. That's how God sees you. Be encouraged by that. Here Joshua is just saying, look at the way the Lord has taken care of you. Look at the way that God has blessed your life. That's what he's saying to them. In verse 11, he says, Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. 
also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Of course, now he's kind of coming to where they're at now, that you know this whole military success that they have achieved here now in the book of Joshua in the promised land, where their great general, Jesus Christ, has given them the victory after victory after victory supernaturally. You know, and that's what God will do in your life. You know, we struggle with different things. Maybe for some of you here, you struggle with alcohol. Maybe you struggle with drugs. Maybe you struggle with anger. I think a lot of us struggle with pride. There's a lot of different things that we struggle with. Maybe you're not a good husband and you need to repent. You're not a good wife. You need to change and begin to submit. Different things that we struggle with. Well, whatever they are, they're like different areas of the promised land. They're like different giants that you have to slay one by one. But you can overcome. And you can become like the sons of thunder, John and James. They were crazy guys. They were mean. They were angry. They were violent. They said, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Let's wipe them out, man. And what did the Lord say? No, that's not how I am. But in the end, what did they end up becoming? They became men of love. Men of tenderness. Men that were gentle. All I'm saying is that God did this with them. And he's doing this in our life. God is the one that will do it. It's so cool when you let the Lord do that you know, work in you. Some of you here, the reason why you're failing is because you're trying to do it on your own strength. Okay, When you try to do it on your own strength, it's going to be so plastic. It's going to be so fake. And you're not going to be able to do it. Well, maybe for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, but it's not going to be real. When the Lord does it, it's just such a beautiful thing when God does it. You know, one of the ways that you can tell if you're trying to do it on your own strength is how's your prayer life. If your prayer life is not that good, then you must think you're, you're pretty good. Or you don't need God. You know, I know this, that to be a husband, to be a dad, to be anything... I got to be on my face. That's one way. You know, another way, there's so many different things. But when you let the Lord do the work and you really begin to get serious about your prayer life, different things, then God will do the work. And the Lord is saying throughout this whole thing, I did this, I did this, I gave you Jacob, I sent Moses, I brought you, I brought you, I did all these things. I would not listen to Balaam. I sent, look what he says there in verse 12, the hornets before you. That's pretty cool, huh? He sent the hornets before them. Have any of you here ever been stung by a bee? Anybody here been moved or chased by a bee? Instead of curiosity, we're all like, whoa, huh? We all have, right? Imagine a whole swarm of hornets coming at you, man. Now, we don't know for sure if it was literally hornets. Would God have a problem doing that? Absolutely not. God could send hornets like that, right? Some people also believe maybe it was symbolic, uh, that it was just God sensing before them, um, some say maybe fear. You know, Henry Morris, he's a good Bible teacher, he said the term is probably used here to symbolize the fear which God sent among the Canaanites in advance of the Israelite armies. You know, I remember when I used to wrestle, 
one of the first things that we would try to do is this whole battle of intimidation. Because if you can strike fear into your opponent, you already have the upper hand. It's a fear factor. And so when you look at the children of Israel, God sent fear before them. Maybe that's the hornet he's talking about. We don't know for sure, but we know what a huge factor that can be. And we see God just saying, basically, um, I've done this work for you. Bottom line is the thrust of Joshua's message is that all this history, all this victory, all this supernatural miracles was totally the Lord. God chose them. God guided them. God delivered them. God defeated their enemies. And God had blessed them big time. God blessed them big time. And that's what Joshua is saying. He brings them to this special geography and he just goes over their amazing history. And then what does he do this? He does this next. He calls them to hearts of sincerity. In 14, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God brings them to that point of making a choice. You know, and it's a beautiful thing in looking at this right here. You know, it's logical, it's reasonable. There's the word now, therefore, (laughs) what should you do? In light of all these things that God has done, what should you do? Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, serve the Lord. You know, when I read this right here, it reminds me of some other important Bible passages we have uh, over in Ephesians 4, verse 1. It gives the first three chapters of, you know, how rich you are as Christians. It says, therefore, I beseech you, to walk worthy, to walk worthy. That's important because of what God has done, walk worthy. I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, after 11 chapters of doctrine, then there comes the duty, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the interesting thing there is the context, if you continue to read on in Romans 12, is working. So Ephesians is walking Romans is working. Therefore, this is what we should do in light of the great salvation. Fear the Lord and serve the Lord. That's what Joshua is saying right here. Joshua brings them to that significant geography. He reminds them of their amazing history and he calls them to the state of sincerity. You know, I don't know where you're at, you guys, tonight. But if I can just get your attention for a second right here, man. If you're messing around, if you're not a real Christian, if you're playing games, then you know what? You're in the wrong place. You're not serving the Lord. Joshua says this, you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve pagan gods. You may think, well, no, I don't serve pagan gods. Yeah, you do. You're here, you serve the God of pleasure. You can read about them in the Old Testament. You serve the God of sex. You can read about them in the Old Testament. You serve the God of creation. You can read about them in the Old Testament. You serve the pagan gods. 
Either you serve the Lord in sincerity or you serve other gods. You serve yourself. You have made yourself a god. See, you've got to serve the Lord. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a stand. And even if the whole world goes against you, even if your friends make fun of you, even if you lose your friends because you make that commitment to be sold out to the Lord, it'll be worth it. And Joshua says this. He says, you know what? Even if none of you serve the Lord, this is what I'm saying right now as a husband, as a dad, as a leader, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the type of choice that we have to make, you guys. That's the type of sincerity that we need to have, just like Joshua had right here. Free from pretense, genuine, real deal. You walk the talk, live the life, and let it be a setting apart that takes place in the deepest part of the heart. You see, that's where Joshua calls them to. And this is where God calls us as well. You know, apparently in the days of Joshua, some were wondering, this whole God thing seems evil. Look what it says right there again in verse uh, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. You know, some people will say, Manny, you know what? Ah, you're really too much, you know, into this whole God thing. And they think sometimes it's even evil. Oh, you guys have only one way to God and you guys are taking away all the joys and natural affections I have in my animal appetites. You know what? And if that's the way you want to think, sure, you have that freedom to think that. But what Joshua is saying is it's not evil, it's good. And what God will do is God will bless your life. Joshua added example to exhortation and their leader assured them that whatever their choice was, that his mind was made up, that his course was clear. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And maybe you're here today and you're a head of a family. Maybe you're a husband or a father or a single mom or maybe a single person. You know, as for you and your house, you need to make that decision. We will serve the Lord. Joshua presents this challenge and the people respond. In verse 16, So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And so they said the right thing. It seems like they were listening, huh? They said, okay, we're going to serve the Lord. They said, and it's for you know, the fact, look at what He's done, which is exactly what Joshua is saying. Serve the Lord, look at what He's done, right? So they said the right thing. But it's kind of interesting, because in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. Now it's a heavy verse. I know we're running short on time, but I need to mention this to you, man. You read the book of Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 18, and chapter 33. 
And what you find is that when a righteous man turns away from the Lord, then his righteousness will be forgotten. All I'm saying is this, and that's a heavy warning. He says right here, your sins won't be forgiven. Here we are. I'm about to die. Joshua is about to die. And he knows this, man, that the main thing is you stay with the Lord. That's what he's saying. Because if you turn away from the Lord, there's no forgiveness. You know, I talk to people sometimes, honestly, and they tell me I'm struggling. You know, I didn't make it to church today. Or whatever the case may be. You know what? And, and I try to tell them, man, be encouraged. You've got to continue to come. You have to continue to seek the Lord. Because, you know, you miss one Sunday and then there's another one. And next thing you know, you know, we used to go five times a week. Now you're going once a week. And, you know, you think it's not a big deal, but you want to know what's happening? You're beginning to drift away a lot of times. All I'm saying is never give up. Never lose heart. Go forward. Grow forward. Not backwards. Because this is serious stuff. So Joshua says, this is not messing around here. Are you real? Are you serious in your commitment to the Lord? Listen, I'm going to warn you, you're accountable. And the people said in verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And now therefore he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Real quick question for you. For those of you here today, what do you need to put away? What do you need to get out of your life? You know, for some of you here, you're Christians, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but I know that there's some of you here today that are not right with the Lord in a practical sense. And you keep doing it and you keep justifying it And God says, time out. I want your attention tonight. My son, my daughter, listen to me. It's time to put it away. 1 Corinthians 13 says, put away childish things. Put away childish things. It's time for you you to love. Ephesians 4 says, put away all bitterness. Put it away. It will destroy your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, put away that evil person from among you. Maybe it's a person that you have to break a relationship with. I don't know. But all of us here need to search our hearts. What is it, God, that I need to put away? Put away that pride. Put away that anger. Put away that resentment. Put away whatever it is because it will destroy you. And God is saying to you tonight, either that goes or I go. This is real stuff. And God calls us to make that choice. Put it away. Acts chapter 19, they took all their books and they burned them. You guys remember that? They got a whole, these were evil books. You know, books of magic, books of demonic influence. Maybe you need to put away your dirty magazines. Maybe you need to put away your dirty movies. It doesn't belong in your house. I don't know what it is. But there's things that we've got to put away. In order for God to do a work, right? In order for God to have his way with us. And so in verse 24, all the people said to Joshua, the Lord we will serve and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day 
and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And so Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. And so the Lord does the work. The Lord, you know, establishes it in writing. And I'm really trying to make this practical for you. You want to know what I would challenge you to do tonight? Go home, hop on your computer. Well, you know what I mean. You know, open up your computer, start it up and write it out. Lord, this is what I need to change. Put it in writing. Put a line down here, X, and sign. And then put up reminders. That's what the stones would be. They would be reminders. Every time you walk by that stone, oh yeah, I said I was going to repent of that. Do real practical things. Because if not, they're witnesses against you. All the Lord is trying to say is, hey, listen, man, I'm bringing you to this special place. Here we are tonight. Maybe for some of you here, man, those kids are so beautiful, huh? Maybe for some of you here, it's a special geography. Okay, here we are, geography. And then God gives you the history of what he's done in your life. And so what he's calling you to, he's calling you to sincerity. I'm not telling you to be weird. I'm just asking you to be real. Be real. Love God. And, and can I ask you this? And love everybody else. Love everybody else. Be real. Because there's this geography, there's this history, there's this sincerity, and then one day there's the glory. I love what we close with in verse 29. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, and that's all he aspired to be, the servant of the Lord. I love that. He died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance at Tipnath Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground, which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. It's kind of funny. My sister-in-law, she always tells me, you know they go in threes, you know. They always go in threes, right? <laughs> uh, she's funny. But I told her, to listen, some, two died, one was just buried. Joseph died a long time ago. You know, and some people wonder, well, why does the book of Joshua end with three dudes getting buried? Okay? You want to know why? Because all these guys, they were in foreign lands when God gave them the promise. I'm going to take you into the promised land one day. And God fulfilled his promise. And one day we're going to be home in heaven. Or one day you're going to be there, maybe it's going to be 10 years from now, and you're going to look back and you say, look at what God has done. All of his promises have come to pass. Not one word has failed. You see, that's what happens when you let Joshua, when you let Jesus really lead your life. 
That's my prayer, you guys, that we would really allow the Lord to lead our life. One last thing in closing. I thought it was interesting in looking up the names of these three guys that were buried here, what their name means. Joshua, you guys know what his name means? Jehovah's salvation, right? And so we got saved, right? Are you saved? If you're not saved, get saved tonight, okay? <laughs> if you're not saved, if you're maybe you strayed away or you don't know the Lord, then tonight, remember Jesus died for your sins on that cross. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. God saved us. But number two, we have the name Eliezer. I mean Joseph. And Joseph means Jehovah has added. And so you get saved and then God begins to do what? He begins to add to your life all the blessings, all the things that God wants to do for his glory. But one last thing, as God begins to add to our life and we're working in cooperation with him, remember the name Eliezer. You know what that means? God has helped. The cool thing is this, that what God's calling us to do, we don't have to do it on our own. God will help us. God will strengthen us. God will encourage us. God will never give up on us. God is our helper. We just need to surrender to Him. Father, we thank You so much for allowing us to study Your Word tonight, Lord. And and what a joy it is. Lord, this book has been a tremendous book in my life. And I hope and pray it's been 20 studies that I will be different. That my wife will see the difference. That my kids will see the difference. And and my brothers and sisters, Lord, but more importantly, that you would see a different man in me. And I pray the same for everyone here today, Lord God, that uh, you would bring us to that place of sincerity. Here we are, uh, Lord, take us and use us and do a mighty work in our hearts and lives. Continue, Lord, I pray, to encourage this congregation, Lord, and all the challenges that we face Uh, Lord, pastors, missionaries, husbands, wives, the kids, everything. Lord, I pray that you would do a great work among the single people, the young, the older. Lord, I pray that tonight you pour out your spirit. And Father, most important of all, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, if there's anyone here tonight who's not a Christian, then tonight, Lord, you would call them out of Egypt. That tonight, Lord God, you would set them free. We love you. We thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon us. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with one more song. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.